Okay, just prepare ourselves for um, well, we're bringing God's word to us, and uh, let's pray first, and then I'll read the scriptures. Um, looking in Ephesians, uh, I was thinking, preparing for prayer, the wonderful prayer of Paul in Ephesians, and so um, well, well, actually, quite difficult to improve upon Paul. But, <laughs> um, so, a, a prayer based on what Paul was praying for the Ephesians. So let's, let's pray together. We praise you, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms through our relationship with Jesus. We praise you for the glorious grace you have poured out on us who belong to Jesus. You're so rich in kindness and grace that you purchased our freedom with the blood of your Son and you have forgiven our sins. You have showered your kindness upon us along with all wisdom and understanding. You have given us your Holy Spirit whom you promised long ago and he is your guarantee that you will give us the inheritance that you have promised and that we are your own people because you have redeemed us. And through that Holy Spirit we want to praise and glorify you. And we thank you God for one another and we pray for one another asking that you the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that you may give each of us spiritual wisdom and insight so that we may grow in our knowledge of God. And we pray that our hearts may be flooded with light so that we can understand more of the confident hope that you have given to us whom you have called the hope of a rich and a glorious inheritance. And we also pray that we will understand better the incredible greatness of your power at work for us who follow you. And that is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at your right hand in the heavenly realms. And now Jesus is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but also in the world to come and you have put all things under the authority of Christ and you have made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and we, the church, are Christ's body made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself and we acknowledge that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith and this is not from ourselves it is the gift of God not achieved by what we have done so that none of us can boast for we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which you have prepared for us to do so Father it is our prayer help us to know you better, to love you better, and to serve you better, for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we come, uh, we come to God, come to God's word. Scriptures we're going to be reading in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, chapter fifteen. 
verses 11 to 32, and I think that's page, if you have a church Bible, it's page 1049. Very familiar parable, we've been going to series in parables, as you'll be aware. Very familiar, but um, let's say that God will really bring something uh, fresh for us today. So this is uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 11. Having already told the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hard servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his son, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and was found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. <coughs> the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. God bless his word to us. Find Bibles again. Get them open, please, at Luke chapter 15. And I'm going to pray this again that God would help us understand something fresh from his word this morning. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for an opportunity to hear from you. 
Thank you for the words of Jesus that we consider this morning. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his ministry. Thank you for his teaching. Thank you for his death. Thank you for his resurrection. And Father, help us to be mindful this morning that as we listen to the words that Jesus first spoke here, we're listening to the very word of God. Please guard us this morning from leaving this room unchanged. I pray that you'd help us listen to what you have to say in such a way that will bring about lasting change in our lives, will change the way we view you, maybe view ourselves, and what it looks like to relate rightly to you and live for you in your world. We pray all these things for your glory. Amen. Mid-April 2009 was Marathon Weekend. I went out to Berlin with a few friends to run the marathon out there in Germany. And I flew out with one of my best mates, Hoppy, from Stansted Airport. Three parts, long stay, Stansted Airport. Got the shuttle to the airport Saturday morning. Flew out, went straight to the expo, the exhibition centre where we registered. Went found our hotel, went out, ate lots of pasta, early night, up early in the morning. Ran the marathon Sunday morning, till 5pm, Sunday afternoon, and got the late flight back Sunday evening. So here we are, we've landed at Stansted. And we're on the shuttle bus now back to long stay car park, Stansted. By the car park. But as I'm going back in the shuttle bus, I'm overcome by this feeling, and I'm sure we've all been there before, when you're just pretty certain you've forgotten something, or left something behind, or lost something. I couldn't work out what it was, so I was just checking my stuff. Obviously got my passport back in the country. Right, what do I need now? Keys, obviously, to the car, and that little ticket to get out of the car park. So I'm rummaging through my gear, found my keys, lovely, single jangle, one box tick, well done. Continue looking for that little ticket, check my back pocket, check my wallet, check my bag. In the end I found it again, into my wallet, all along. So I'm happy, so I'm relaxed, five minutes back to sunset. But when we arrive at long stay, if you've ever passed in a long stay, you'll know what happens next. Because you obviously leave your car in a particular zone, right? So we've entered the car park, and the bus driver starts calling out the zone. And at that moment, I've turned and looked at Hoppy. He's turned and looked at me. And we knew. Could not have a clue where we'd left our car. And if you've ever been to Stansted, it's a massive car park, right? So we thought, here's what we'll do, we'll get out of zone M. Somewhere in the middle. That was vaguely familiar, right where we were Saturday morning. So how we get, we're wandering around trying to find the car. Nissan Almera, Silver. W79TAC. Remember hunting for the registration plate. No exaggeration. By the way, we landed at 10. It was now half 10 in the car park. 12 o'clock, <laughs> hour and a half later. Bear in mind we've got a marathon in the morning. We're going to work 9 o'clock Monday morning. We're still dragging our cases around Stansted, Longstay, trying to find the Nissan Silver Almera. So in the end, despondent, we make our way back to that little security hut on the way out, knock on the door, and have to admit that we've lost our car. So here's what happens next, he's a nice old boy, a couple of cups of tea, we sat there, and he rewound the, wind, the videotape from Saturday morning when we arrived. We knew vaguely when we arrived, but we weren't definite. So we watched about 40 minutes of footage. <laughs> coming into the Stansted long stay. And still we spotted in this San Almira, still there it is. And then VCCTV, they tracked us all the way to whatever zone we're in. So off we set again, it's about half twelve, one o'clock at this point, dragging our bags. And you know that moment, I spotted, I'm not a car fan at all, but I spotted my silver Nissan Almira 
I remember leaning on the bonnet. <laughs> because if you've ever lost something, right, that's really important for whatever reason, if it's as big as a car, as small as a wedding ring, as inconvenient as a mobile phone, if you've lost something that matters to you, that moment when you find it, yeah, when you set your eyes back upon it and you go, it is a lovely moment and it's time to celebrate. When lost things get found, it's time to celebrate. Luke chapter 15 is all about lost things being found. And Jesus teaches us three parables all about lost things being found. In Luke chapter 15, verse 3 to 7, we hear the parable of the lost sheep. And the shepherd we presume who leaves his 99 and goes looking for the one who is lost. And when he founds it, he flings it on his shoulders and he heads for home celebrating. Luke chapter 15, verse 8 to 10. Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin. And this time, a woman who's lost one of the ten coins and she sweeps the house diligently, carefully, until she finds it. Gathers the neighbours in and begins to celebrate because it is good when lost things are found. And then the passage before us today, from verse 11 onwards, Jesus tells his third parable. It's the parable of two lost sons. Let me say that again, it's two lost sons. Not one lost son, but two. Have a look down at verse 11, Jesus' introduction to the parable there. Jesus continues, there was a man who had two sons. Here's the character, a father and two sons, a younger son and an older son. Not one, but two. And as we work our way through this story, we will quite clearly see that both sons are lost. Both sons need to be found and restored back to a right relationship with their father. So if you've got an NIV Bible, you might see a little title there above verse 11. The parable of the lost son. <coughs> Not helpful. Remember the little titles aren't God's word, they've been edited at a later date by humans to try and help us. That one's not massively helpful. Because as we will clearly see, there are two lost sons, and not one. And both need to be found. So before we launch into the story and look at what Jesus has to teach us, I want us to reflect just for a moment on the three characters though. Because before we embark upon this story, we need to understand who the three characters represent. Remember, father, younger son, older son. And to understand who they represent, we've got to go back to Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. Because this sets the scene. In verse 1 and 2, we learn who Jesus is speaking to, who he's addressing. And there are two distinct groups of people that Jesus addressed. Let me read it to you in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering round to hear it. If you flick it on end, it should come up on the screen here, a little table. You see the third group of people that Jesus is addressing? The tax collectors and the sinners. These are the outwardly rebellious in society. Those people who are quite obviously lost out of the relationship with God. These people are represented by the younger son in the story that we just heard. But you see in verse 2, Jesus is also addressing another group of people there in verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
were presented with the Pharisees who had stood there on the fringes they saw us there and they're listening but they're on the fringes and they're grumbling and they're muttering and they say what is this man Jesus doing welcoming sinners? These are people who think they're okay they think they're alright they think they're sorted with God but they're not they're just as lost as the younger son the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are represented by the older son in the parable today and both sons, both groups of people are lost and need to be restored to a right relationship with God and of course the father, the other key character in the story, he's God with his arms outstretched wide, ready to welcome all sinners back into his warm embrace so there's the characters and all we're going to do is to work through the story is stop and pause and reflect on each of these three characters and we're going to start with the younger son because the younger son is the one who gets most airtime in the first part of the story and we're introduced to him in verse 11 Pit the scene for just a moment a wealthy family estate somewhere out of the Judean countryside maybe on the back of dinner, who knows the son pulls his dad to one side says dad you know what you know that inheritance sort of one day in mind when you're dead you know when you die I get your stuff, your inheritance, yeah want it now give it to me now what a shocking thing to say the son to his father but that's exactly what the son says here look in verse 12 the younger one says to his father father give me my share of the estate give it to me here we're presented with someone who could not care less about his father right? bothered about his dad couldn't even care less if he's dead he just wants his stuff he wants his things he wants his inheritance he wants all that he can get from his father but he could not care less about his father couldn't care less ring any bells as you look around in the world today people who will take from God they're happy having the things from God I'm happy with my family and my health and all things I've got I like my house and my family my friends I'll happily embrace all the things that come from God the stuff that comes from God but as for God, no thanks I don't want anything to do with God that's sin right? it's sin it is to take from God to enjoy what he gives you but it is to reject the God that gave it to you do you know what, if I was a father I'd be tempted to give my son a slap, right, if he said that <laughs> but he doesn't <laughs> the father still gives in verse 12 and 13 the father still gives it to his son and so the son gathers up all he has he liquidates his in shares of inheritance, obviously he's given a portion of land, he sells that off, and now he's got a, a big bag of hard currency, a bag of gold coins in his back pocket, Dad, see you later, not bothered at all, off he goes. Off he goes to a distant land, and he squanders everything. He wastes the lot. Everything he received from the Father, he wastes it, all. and you know what 
for a time it's okay for him he's quite happy when he's spending his money but all of a sudden in verse 14 the circumstances of life change right? after he spent everything there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need here's a guy who is now in need was his lifestyle immoral as well as wasteful? probably in verse 13 the older son certainly thought it was immoral as well as wasteful but you know what it doesn't really matter what he wasted his money on here's the point the primary point he took from his father and he went in his own direction and he wasted everything and now he's in the pit of life because the circumstances of life have changed he's not got a penny to his name famine hits and things get desperate and he sells himself off to a gentile farmer to feed the pigs a respectable Jewish boy ends up crawling around in a pigsty as a slave for a Gentile and he's even happy to eat the leftovers that the pigs don't eat what a desperate situation what a desperate picture of where sin leads exhausted, empty, hungry and helpless without hope and in despair and you know what, if the story ended there it'd be a pretty bleak parable wouldn't it from Jesus but look what happened in verse 17 when he came to his senses in verse 17 he said how many of my father's tired men have food to spare and here I am starving to death I will step out and go back to my father and say to him father I have sinned against you it is a moment of realisation you can almost imagine it there as he's scrabbling around eating a half-eaten pig pod and all of a sudden his mind goes back to what he had when he was with his father what he has left behind and he realises, he becomes aware of how he's treated his father and so he turns around and sets off for home in Christian terminology it's his moment of conviction, right? almost the first stage of becoming a Christian being aware of how he has treated his father how he has shamefully rejected his father back home and gone off and done his own thing I remember my moment of realisation when I became a Christian you might do yourself maybe it was a drawn out period but I remember my moment when like the younger son here I came to my senses and became aware of how I tra- treated my father in heaven shamefully I was in the Lineyard car park in Cambridge I went to an outreach meal with my friends from Loughborough University who was a Christian involving Christians in sport and he invited me to a little meal in Cambridge I remember driving over to Cambridge, I went for a meal in Weatherstones in Cambridge went back to Lime Yard car park and my mate Gav said can I pray for you? alright you want to and Gav prayed for me in the car park and I remember it vividly as I set off for home I had a three hour journey home from Cambridge to Warwick and for those who know me I'm not an emotional man but I cried for two out of the three hours home because I was overwhelmed I came to my senses I realised I became aware of how shamefully I treated my father and I can remember all the way home going to God and just saying God I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry how I've treated you all the way home to Warwick 
exactly the same as the younger son in the story, right? He steps out for home and he's reciting his please forgive me speech on the way, not quite sure how the child is going to react when he gets home. No wonder Charles Dickens called this the greatest short story ever written. Because in it we see two of the great biblical truths, sin and repentance, visualised, displayed so boldly and brilliantly for us in the person of his son. Sin is to take, it is to take from God and it is to run from God without regard for God and to waste all that God has given you and to be apart from God. To repent simply is to turn around. Moments of realisation, to recognise how we have treated our God and like the younger son in a pig side, to turn around a full 180 and to go back to God, our Father, and say sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry how I've treated you. Before we move on, I've got to ask you two questions on the back of looking at the younger son. Number one, have you come to your moment of realisation? Have you recognised how shamefully we have all treated our Father God? You may not be in a physical pit right now. Sin doesn't take you there straight away, but it will ultimately. Have you come to that moment of realisation of how you treated God? And number two, have you turned around? Or maybe even will you turn around if that's you right now and come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. In the younger son, we see a quite brilliant picture of sin and repentance. But now we turn our attention to the Father. Because in the Father, who we're reminded represents God in this passage, we're given a wonderful picture of grace and forgiveness. Maybe one of the most moving pictures in the whole of Scripture. Have a look down at verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. The younger son is now on his way home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Can you imagine the younger son as he trudges home? How's the father going to react? What's he going to say? I know I've treated him badly but you know what before he's even through the back gate and up the garden path daddy is on the roof looking out it is no accidental sighting the father is looking out for his wayward child and he sprints down the stairs and he tucks his cloak into his belt which would have been a dishonourable thing for a dad to do at that time and he smashes through his front door or back door and he's down the garden path and he envelops his son and he showers him with kisses it is a picture, a wonderful picture it's in our grace and forgiveness. Here is a boy who deserves nothing, not one thing from his father. But he gets everything. That's great, isn't it? He deserves nothing from his father, but he gets everything. Sheer, unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted favour and goodness poured out upon someone who deserves nothing of the sort. This is a story of grace upon grace upon grace. So did you see what happens to younger sons? Please forgive me speech. See there in verse 21. 
Have a little look down, compare it to what he was planning to say in verse 19 and 20. Do you see what he doesn't get a chance to say? Make me like one of your hired men. He can't even get it in, because before he finishes his speech, his father envelops him. What's the point? The father doesn't want him back as a hired hand or a servant. He wants him back as a son. And so before you know it, the father clicks his fingers and the servants sprint in every direction. One comes back with a family robe and puts it on his son. One comes back with a new pair of sandals. One comes back with a family signet ring and slips it on his finger. And the other one sprints off to kill the fashion car. Because the celebration is about to begin, right? A dead son is now alive. A lost son is now found. He's back. And there is nothing that you can do but celebrate when lost people come home. Look at verse 31. My son, the father said, you're always missing, everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate. Do you see the father? We have to celebrate. I could do nothing but celebrate because the lost has returned home. It's the theme, isn't it, that cuts through all three, three parables. Lost things get found and the party of all parties begins. So I don't know whether if you've ever read the parable of the lost coin and thought, that's a little bit over the top, is it not, that celebration? Here's a woman who has ten coins, she lost, loses one, she finds it, and she invites her entire street round to celebrate. Imagine doing that, imagine losing your mobile phone and being so thrilled that you go door knocking on every single house in your street, bring them all around and say, guys, you've got some brilliant notes, I found my phone! It's a bit over the top, isn't it? But here's the point. Jesus isn't talking about sheep. He's not talking about coins. He's talking about people. Lost people. People out of relationship with God. People who are wandering away to a hopeless, helpless eternity without Christ. And he is calling them home. And when they come home, there is nothing that you can do but celebrate. Even the angels in heaven are rejoicing in the party. When lost people come back to God. It is a wonderful thing when lost people get found because the Father awaits with arms of grace and forgiveness waiting for people to come back. Before we move on and finish with the older son, I want us to pause for just a moment because as we understand something of the Father in this story, so we understand something of God, right? The Father represents God. I've written down four things. There's loads more to understand about God. But as we understand the Father, so we understand something of the heart of God for the people of this world. Here's what I put down on my sheet. Number one, he's on the lookout. God wants lost people to come back. He is looking out for lost people. In fact, when we come to the older son, you see the father go outside and plead with him that he come back in. The father wants people to come back for himself. He wants lost people to return to where they should be in a right relationship with him. Number two, I've put down on my sheet, he comes to meet us. God doesn't wait for us to come to meet him. He comes to meet us. Sprinting down the garden path, enveloping his son. I remember where this son's been. He's been groveling around in a pig's for the last three months. 
God meets us in all our filth, all our sin, all our dirt, all our hypocrisy, all of it. He doesn't wait for us to get cleaned up before he embraces us. He embraces us just as we are in all our filth and all our sin. And of course the picture of the Father, arms outstretched to welcome and embrace lost people. Eight chapters after Jesus told this parable, he stretched his own arms out. Just like the Father, the big time they were nailed to the cross. And it was at the cross where the Lord Jesus said, you can be forgiven. Come to me and find forgiveness in my death in your place on the cross. Jesus meets us where we're at. Thirdly, he showers us with grace. He doesn't just accept us back begrudgingly, but he showers us with grace upon grace upon grace. He doesn't just welcome us back with a high hand, but he bestows upon his people the riches of sonship. We get to share in all that is Christ. We are co-heirs with him of the inheritance that is now ours because of the work of Jesus on our behalf on the cross. And the fourth one I wrote down is he throws a decent party. When God throws a decent party, you want to be there. The younger son is a brilliant picture of sin and repentance. The father is a quite magnificent picture of grace and forgiveness. And so we finish with the older son, sometimes missed out in this story, but we must finish here because this is almost a punchline. The older son is a picture of self-righteous pride. Read with me verse 25 to 27. While all this has been happening, all that we just talked about. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Note he's outside. He's not in the party. He is outside. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatty calf because he had them back safe and sound. And now maybe for the, for the saddest line in the story there in verse 28. Just ponder what the older son says in verse 28, because it's devastating. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. Wouldn't you love that to say something different? The older son was absolutely buzzing that his younger brother was back, and he joined the party, and he celebrated, and he too enveloped his younger brother in a warm embrace. But he doesn't, he gets angry and refuses to go in. Here is a guy who hates grace. He hates it. He can't bear the fact that his father is so gracious and forgiving. He can't bear the fact that his father would welcome people back just like that. That's the same as the Pharisees, remember in verse 2. Jesus is welcoming sinners back to himself and the Pharisees, the older sons, are sat there grumbling because they hate the fact that God welcomes sinners back to himself. Self-righteous pride. Here are people who think they're okay. They think they're sorted. They think they're okay with God, but they're not. They're actually on the outside. You see, the older son has got a work-based religion, right? Verse 29. Do you see his response there? 
He answered his father, Lord, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He didn't drift quite far from home as a younger son, but he thinks he's okay because he spent his life listening to language, slaving, never disobeying orders. He thinks he's okay with his father because he's doing what his father wants, by works. But the point is he's on the outside. He too is out of a relationship with his father. He's got zero relationship with his father, right? Zero relationship. And that's the point of two sons in the story. Some wander a lot further away from home than others. Some are a lot more outwardly lost than others. But it's just different types of lostness. The older son is lost as well. You can be apart from God living a wild, immoral life somewhere in a foreign land without regard to your father and you can be lost, grown up in church your whole life. It's just a different type of lostness. The question I've got to leave you with is this. Are you in a genuine relationship with your father God? Have you acknowledged your sin and the way you treated him. Have you turned around and repented and come back to God and said sorry? And have you trusted in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in your place? We could be lost in different ways, friends. And it's up to you to check your heart and make sure that you have done those things. Aware of sin, repent and turn around and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's grace even then, right, in the story. <laughs> because the father goes out again in verse 28. For the second time the father leaves the party. He's outside again. But this time he's gone out to meet his older brother. And plead with him that he come in. And so for the real cliffhanger of the story, every good story ends in the cliffhanger, right? We don't know whether the older son came in or not. Jesus doesn't tell us. Hope he did. Pray he did. But did he join the party before it was too late? You see, one day the front door of that party will shut. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead, the door will be shut. But until that day comes, the door remains open, the Father's arms are stretched out wide, and the Lord Jesus Christ is calling tax collectors and sinners, Pharisees and teachers of the law, all people. He is calling them back to himself and saying, please, will you come? Will you join the party? And if you're in, if you're sat there smiling in your heart now because you, you love the Lord, you know he died for you on the cross, then will you be pointing people to the cross of Calvary where the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ are outstretched for others? Will we be pointing others to that party to share in the celebration of the angels when lost people come home? I'm going to give you a minute with those two questions on the screen in front of you to think and to ponder in light of what Jesus has said who do you relate to most in the story? And what is Jesus calling you? Personally, individually, what is he calling you to do today? One minute.
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Father in heaven, would you imprint that picture upon our minds? Would we, would our hearts forever be overflowing with gratitude for the Father's warm embrace? For the death of the Lord Jesus that makes forgiveness possible? Father, would you cause us in our hearts to be aware of our sin and our rebellion and the way that we treated you? Father, help us to accept our responsibility, the call to repent and to turn around to come back to you and say sorry. But Father, thank you for your wonderful grace, your grace upon grace upon grace, unmerited, undeserved forgiveness. Thank you that you came to meet me in my pigsty. Thanks that you came to meet many of us in this room in that same way in a different context. Lord, would you meet each one of us in a unique and special way? Would you help us to see our own sin? But would you help us to see as well the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus on our behalf on the cross? Lord Jesus, please leave that lasting memory of the Father and his arms outstretched embracing the younger son and print that upon our minds, upon our hearts and help us all to respond rightly in light of what you have to teach us this morning. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.